0: Survival Guide Have you had enough Pringles? I'm all good. I don't need any more Pringles. Okay, I'm gonna have one more. (laughs) (laughs) I find that salt and vinegar Pringles are the best. Dusty. I'm I'm more of an uh, original.
1: What? Yeah. What? What? What do you mean what? Original? Original. Like a a light dusting of salt? Like the red one. But your body craves sodium when you're hungover, right? But it's like, I think I associate salt and vinegar with like chips, not Pringles. It's like... But they're
0: delicious.
1: (laughs) It's like the flavour doesn't match the texture. So my brain is confused.
0: You know, actually, I appreciate that. I feel like that about sparkling water. Should I Ooh, move the grapes Sparkling too? water is not okay. Do you want some grapes? Should I keep the grapes? I'm just scared of the... I think we should cr- keep the grapes. I'm scared of the crinkling. We'll try to refrain. Any crinkles... We'll you mean the crinkle of... These crunchy. crisp grapes? They're crisp. <laughs> How do you feel about texture versus flavour on crispy grapes? I'm into it. Me too. Can we
1: just revisit sparkling water though?
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Tell me, are you a pro or a
1: con? Oh, so con. <gasps> I have very <laughs> I have unusually strong feelings about sparkling water.
0: I'm absolutely
1: the same. If they're gonna have bubbles, they should taste like something.
0: Yes. They taste so I don't know what. It's what... not
1: it's not quite nothing. But it's not quite something.
0: It's like car- carbonated. There's just this, it's almost a savoury flavour, would you say?
1: I don't even know if there's a flavour, because what happens, my experience, is you drink it, and you're like, ooh, bubbles, but then there's no flavour to, like,
0: <laughs> to like,
1: add to the fun. And then my brain is, like, very confused and, like, very disappointed. Oh, heck. Wow. I couldn't agree more.
0: <laughs> um, when I was travelling around Italy, yeah,
1: you'd accidentally buy sparkling water.
0: Um, yes, that I did happen life. to me several times. They would also automatically serve you sparkling water mm. because they Rude. say this is this is water, unlike that other shit without bubbles. Without bubbles, it's peasant water, <laughs> flat, boring. <laughs>
1: I'd actually go into the stores and, like, shake the bottle. Just to check? Yeah.
0: Is that smart? That poor person picking <laughs> mm-hmm. out their sparkly water. <laughs> Look. <laughs> they deserve it. Honestly. The Lo was here. <laughs> if they're gonna buy that shit, <laughs> they need to be prepared. Yeah. For any instances. No, the other one I was gonna talk about is, um, I've never gotten into the Aperol Spritz. What the fuck is Spritz? It's the, um... So Aperol is the liqueur Yo, And it's actually, orange Yeah 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 I know the one um, And I can't remember quite how it's I don't think it's straight They perhaps put soda no, water in it No I think they put like they? Sprite or something Hold on Aperol spritz.
1: I wasn't into it in the beginning And then Like on a hot It is soda On a hot water. day It's She nice
0: Oh, see, okay, the Aperol flavour I didn't particularly enjoy so much and so adding shitty sparkling soda water to it I think when you like add like, like uh, some um, fresh fruit Some fresh fruit? Mm, some fresh, fruit. That fresh grapes? No, mm. it looks like it gets Crisp. served with an orange um, My favourite cocktail I think when I was over there was I discovered the Bellini cocktail wow. Also a, a breakfast-y cocktail Um... Hold on, Bellini cocktail. What do we got here? What is your favorite cocktail? Pina colada, hands down. Mm-hmm. Good choice, good choice. If you like pina coladas, dancing getting caught in the rain. Damn. Oh, yeah, so it's just Prosecco with um, peach puree. So it's like Ooh. a peachy Prosecco. It's oh, delicious. I like it. that sounds yeah, that's good. I would arguably say it's easier to drink than a, what's that, orange Prosecco cocktail that they have at fancy brunches. Oh, like Mimosa's? Mimosa! (laughs) I think it's yummier than a Mimosa, Mm -hmm. arguably. Okay, okay. I see that. And nobody really serves that. I've not found a Bellini cocktail, really, in, in Wellington. I have not had one. If somebody knows of where I can get myself a decent Bellini... In Wellington, please let does. me know. Uh-huh. Instagram page, the Survival Guide podcast. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you we, so much. We will go there immediately. Uh, immediately. Speaking of, oh, the Survival Guide, welcome. Hey! That's Melissa Lowe. And that is Olivia Pompey. Wow, aren't we yeah. so pleased to be here today? Yeah, so. I know. I am, Melissa. Yeah? Because <laughs> I didn't think I'd make it. <laughs>
1: Honestly, it was a real hit and miss. I was I was sitting here being like, "What are the chances that Olivia's gonna that hit Olivia me up? Will, will come or cancel or cancel or just text being like?" Mm. And you kind of did. There was a photo attached. Yeah,
0: I know, and I knew you would like see the photo and know. But I was perhaps this morning hmm. there was a few touch and go moments, <laughs> but when I picked my little self up and did a few things, <laughs> like, I yeah, felt fine. I can do it. Yeah, because <clears throat> wow, oh my gosh, you can already yeah. hear it in my voice. <laughs> um, I had actually a really fabulous past couple of days. Yeah, you
1: have, haven't you? Pretty
0: and fun. Friday night was the night where I perhaps drank the most. And so yesterday, Saturday, I felt really awful and so I had to postpone yeah because <laughs> I just don't think I could have sat here talking about something and like yeah like I can having discussions.
1: maybe three or four and I was like did you want to come tomorrow and
0: I hastily yeah. agreed good idea Melissa yeah wow Melissa you're so smart and talented <laughs> yes let's do it tomorrow <laughs> and then of course I went out do you know I had one of those moments and um, my flatmate can attest to this. I was dragging my feet getting ready. I just did not want to. And when I finally had made the decision of, yes, I want to go to this Halloween party and mm. friggin' dress up, that it dawned on me I didn't have a costume. And of course, it was <laughs> late ish in the afternoon, so nothing would have been open. I couldn't have gone anywhere to buy anything last minute. And then she's like, oh well, I have a costume you could borrow. What? And I thought, oh, what is it? And she says, oh, it's like a um, belly dancer outfit. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) No. No. I mean, show me. (laughs) Did you go as a belly dancer? I don't know what I'd call the outfit I had. So it was this, like, The fabric was super cheap, so you can maybe see the red. Can you see any, like, red marks around my neck a little? I can. Yeah, the fabric was super cheap, but, you know, as they all kind of are, those shitty costumes that you can buy. Um, So it was this black halter neck, almost bikini crop top thing, and it tied around the back, and it was covered in those gold coin things, that jingle. Oh, yeah. Were they, like, actual... Were they good... or were they no, no. shitty? No, they were metal. Like, okay. they, they yeah. clink, clink, clinked. And then I had this big billet, so it was black, and it had sequins and whatnot. And then it was this black billowy skirt, also with much more jingle, jingle, jingles. Yeah. And then it came with this big yellow belt thing, which so was like, a gypsy-esque. In yes. Well, when I arrived at the party, people said, oh, like, what are you? And I, I said, look. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm going with belly dancer, but I also could possibly read your palm if you ask me.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> could I be a really don't thing. Know. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh yeah, I chucked on some like thick as sports socks and boots. Yeah. <laughs> which my flatmate thought, oh, it doesn't really go. And I said, Look. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really go. <laughs> Yeah, and it didn't, but hey, but, hey I I, I at okay appropriate footwear for my job mm. that I was pretending to have. Yes, of which is a miscellaneous job. Many many interpretations, but yes, maybe some sort of gypsy circus performer. Oh. It was a little bit the vibe, actually, much more I think than belly dancer, mm. since my belly was not on show. And were you ballet dancing? Well, I was dancing, but it was to dirty drum and bass music. I so see. So, it was more like... Ns, 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 ns. And my <laughs> jingles, jingles were just like... Just like that. Yeah, that had a party on the pod. Oh, love! But yes, so uh, I was able to bring it home and here I am and... Um, So you just just survived the week. Do you know? Okay, should I go first? Yeah, that was a fantastic segue. Well done, Melissa. (laughs) So talented. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yes. How did I survive the week? I am so, so pleased to announce that I have had the first best week that I have had in a long time. Yes. Yes. But yes, a quick overview. So, uh, this past week I was working towards my final interview concert for the choir. I've been part of the Wellington Youth Choir for about two years now. And this was my final year because I am going away, but also I'm no longer a youth. Cry, cry, cry. So, there was a lot to do. I was helping with the media and promotions. So, just every night I'm making new Instagram posts and Facebook posts and whatnot. So that show was on Friday and it went so well. And Melissa, it was amazing. Yes. Thank it you.
1: It was so good. I, yeah. I want to talk about that for my like how I
0: survived the way. Oh, okay. Alright. I'm kind of Yeah. Um, what else did I do? On Thursday night I had a show, a different show for a different job. It was this fashion show put on at this place called the Wellington Club. And I walked for two fashion houses. Uh, the Muse, which is a boutique store in Wellington. They do beautiful kind of like women's wear. Mm-hmm. designer women's yeah. wear, and also this brand, Wilson Chalope, which is, as I discovered, run by... It was started by this girl, Annabelle, who is not old at all. She... I honestly don't think she'd be much older than us. Well Maybe. She kind of had one of those faces, like, she could be super young, or she could be... Yeah. I know what you older. mean. Older. Yeah. It was hard just to like, tell. a bit
1: ambiguous.
0: Yes. And she also dressed phenomenally, which, you know, I think just yeah. made her... I think I know the brand... Yeah.
1: It's on um, it's on Victoria, Victoria Street. Street. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'd never been in purely because I never am around that area. But beautiful clothes and the coolest big chunky earrings. Yeah. So each look I had, I had a different pair of these like crazy oh, awesome. chunky earrings. So <laughs> if you're looking for some Christmas presents I'm for so your good. homie G's out there, I would go to Wilson Chiloe. Annabelle was amazing. it yeah. Um. But yeah, I think just in general, I've been keeping so busy, and I've been working towards things that I've been really passionate about, like working on this stuff has been um, a creative outlet that I didn't know I needed in my life. Yeah. Excuse me while I eat a grape. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's my survival tip for this week, is if you've perhaps lost your connection with something that used to make you really happy now's the time like yeah if not now then when as my dad would say perhaps just if you've been looking into something maybe just try it look don't at be- one article or look at one website that's relevant to something that you're interested in because it just starts with a little a little step it doesn't you yeah. don't have to organize everything right now but just make a small start, and you never know. And
1: you don't need to, like, tell people about it either.
0: Exactly. It's a
1: personal journey. Mm. Like, I don't think I told people about our podcast for a while, because I was just like, this is a really cool thing that us two are doing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Super stoked to do it, and then... Now I'm like, yo, everyone, <laughs> <laughs> we are live. <laughs> we have a podcast. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. I'm so stoked for you.
0: I can't stop smiling.
1: Yeah. I don't know. You're beaming. <laughs> beaming. especially after this weekend that you've had, it's like, how are you alive? Um, I <laughs> <'Cause we> didn't <laughs> drink that much Oh last yeah? night.
0: Oh, yeah, because... Because I drank on Friday, fun. you peaked on Friday, suffered Saturday. I, I think what I drank up. last night was a little bit kind of here at the dog, and then I was fine because right. it wasn't that much. You know, what I was told
1: mm. by a colleague the other day that to get over a hangover, you just drink more. Yeah, that's. Is this just like a well-known fact? Oh my god, yes. I do not believe
0: it. You've heard of here of the dog. No. What? What are you talking (laughs) about? Wait, okay, 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 you're not a big drinker though, are you? No. Okay, so
1: yes. But like when I do drink big, I'm ruined. I cannot fathom the idea of waking up the next day
0: and taking
1: another drink?
0: Okay, so you've heard of we were just talking about mimosas, yeah. a Bellini cocktail, yeah. a Bloody Mary, which is mm. vodka and tomato juice. Yeah, you. I wouldn't recommend downing like half a bottle of wine like you did the night before. Half a bottle, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> <That> was... <laughs> but you, yeah, it's that whole incorporating it into. Something a bit easier to drink, like orange juice or peach puree or tomato juice with bacon and all that other stuff. It, but don't ask me how. Why? But it works, and that's why those co- those breakfast cocktails are offered at really at brunch and cafes. oh, I thought they were just because they were tasty. No. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, yes. No, and yes. also bougie. Yeah, <laughs> Like, it's quite bougie to be drinking oh, yeah. Prosecco in the morning. I feel, like, 100%. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, it just works. It's magical. Huh. I don't know if I'll try it, but,
1: huh. Well, well I mean, you know. each their own, of
0: course. Um, mm. Can I steal water quickly? Yeah. And then while you pass me this lovely glug glug jug jug. hmm <laughs> How did you survive the week, Melissa? My
1: week? Um, I, it probably wasn't as fantastic as yours, but it was a pretty good week.
0: Ooh. I'm just going to put that nice and big so that I don't do that again and <laughs> but, annoy everyone.
1: Um, no, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, work wasn't that busy. It was pretty slow. Did a lot of investment, a lot of reading and research. Um, but my Friday was fantastic um i had a few things that were like pretty fun that day mm-hmm. um first uh, me and a colleague drove to the plant store during our lunch break which and just, plant store we just went all, all the way to like palmer's and and miramar i don't oh know what oh my god he, he has his car so he was like let's go there i he was like i think there's like a lot of There'll, pre- there'll be more plant selection and I was like yeah of yes yes of course you know I, yeah I'm into plants so yeah um and we went and it was lovely we just bought little like baby, baby plants and like brought them in and like greenified our little office space
0: so sweet. which was like how long did it take it. you to get from your office to Miramar
1: though um quite a while actually we took pretty yes. long pretty long lunch break <laughs> nice
0: extended <Ew>. lunch break
1: <laughs> it was uh, it was a bit long but it was fun and we weren't too busy so it was fine um and, and the weather was still somewhat okay during yeah. the day yeah 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 and we were pretty like zoom zoom so yeah, so that was fun, and then straight after work, I was in charge of organizing um our works uh, board game night. Fun. So it was just like very wholesome. Wait, so
0: it was last? Night. I mean, not like, on Friday night. On you that had Friday board game night, night, yeah. Oh, fun.
1: So like before I popped over to your concert, we just spent like two hours just um, a little bit on the wines, a little bit of food, and just like. Playing Monopoly and like articulate and <laughs> just like random
0: games. I just by personal preference choose to stay away from Monopoly. Look, normally same, <laughs> but like no one
1: was. It was a bit hard to get the like the the people to move from the food to the board games. So <laughs> like. Because everyone was just like eating nobody and nobody wanted to play. one wanted to play. And then the for the we kind of got a few people, and then they really wanted to play Monopoly. So I was like, "Yeah, like let's get excited, let's play Monopoly." Okay. okay. So I was. You were hype girl as well. Yes. Yeah, so I was playing Monopoly. I did not win. Uh, Does that game ever end? Though? It was really long. Like I left. I left the game because I had to go to your concert, and
0: it was still going.
1: Yeah, but like um, there were yeah. People slowly migrated, and it was pretty fun. Like, okay. yeah. Okay. And then I, um, yeah, I uh, walked on over to Olivia's concert, and it was fantastic. Um, it was I hadn't listened to choral music in a while. Beautiful.
0: It's I miss fun, it. Though. I was kind
1: of listening, being like, did I enjoy choir, <laughs> or did someone tell me that I
0: enjoyed choir? <laughs> um. And um, I'm pretty
1: sure I did have fun.
0: So Melissa and I were in the choirs together at all throughout high, high school, school, yeah. And we also traveled to Europe and mm. sung in our choir. So we have, you know,
1: choirs We've in, done a bit of choir in,
0: in the blood a little choiring. Um, but yeah, so a couple of years back, this is obviously prior to me joining. I had written a list of things that I wanted to do. Mm. Um. Just passions that either interested me or that I wanted to get back into. Um, And other things on the list were stuff like I want to get my diving license but at the time I couldn't afford the $800 upfront fee to get it. She's expensive. I didn't even have $800 to my name so that just (laughs) got put uh, on the back burner. Maybe not. But yeah, joining a choir was one of them. I think I miss that sense of I will never forget this moment. It was when I'd first joined the choir at Chilton. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the older girls' choir. Yeah. And we sang, I think... It was either, like, Oh Holy Night, or... In my
1: mind, it's Oh Holy Night.
0: And it was that moment where you go... Bah! Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it honestly brought tears to my eyes. Because it's, like, the
1: tones just all... Blend and like I don't know what it is. It like
0: that beautiful. Uh, it's like vowel ringing. Sound as well. Yeah, yes, it is. It's like the it's ability that humans have to sing and make these like to make music in yes. harmony. It just so that sort of sense. I kind of put it down to being something that my soul felt like it was missing, that sense of mm. creating something. Yeah. Everybody is working together to create something that sounds so amazing. Yeah. And uh, I knew another couple of girls who were in the, the Wellington Youth Choir, and so I hit them up and said, hey, should I join this choir? And oh, they really? said, yes, uh, yes, join this choir. And oh, yeah. Yeah. it yes. was, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And of course, as they say, I still get shivers in some of the yeah. songs we were singing. That oh, manual my Mysterium yeah.
1: piece. Oh my goodness. The, the songs that you guys were singing on Friday were incredible. Like, your harmonies were just like... Oh. Like, I was sitting there being like, this is why I loved choir. Like, the music was amazing. And I worked it out during the concert. Like, oh, I just hated waking up in the morning. <laughs> And getting like <laughs> yes, getting to enough. the rehearsal was horrible. But then when I was there, it was amazing when we made the music and performed.
0: I think as well, um, in year thirteen, we would practice Monday lunch because we were leading the younger girls choir. Oh yeah. Um, Tuesday mornings, Wednesday lunch times, Thursday mornings and then usually a Sunday would be dedicated oh to it. Our whole lives were quiet. It was entirely quiet and I think it was too much for me yeah. and that's why I, cu- I cut it out for so long. Yeah. I felt quiet out. Yeah. But then of course 100%. later in life I thought to myself oh I miss that. Yay. I totally took over your what's your tip? <laughs> oh my tip Um,
1: just like don't underestimate the small things small activities that make you happy and bring you joy so like just trip to the plant store like a little board game night like just sitting and enjoying a performance like all of those three things just happened to be on one day so it was just like ultimate joy on that one day but
0: that is so nice to hear though I felt like you deserved a day like that it was so nice but yeah okay so on that shall we note Uh oh I get it (laughs) it's my story for the reading (laughs) it is a bit of a long story Mm -hmm. but I wanted to include a lot of the detail of this person's thought because in this story this person was living moment to moment to survive. So that's why I wanted to um kind of flesh it out a bit more. Yeah. Are you ready?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: I'm going to transport you all over to the Sahara Desert in Africa. To tell you the incredible story of one man's survival in some of the harshest conditions on earth, a man whose story inspired this poem, the song of the Tuareg. Singing springs under the palms of the green oasis, listen to the call of the Tuareg in the night, in the calm. At the pace of my pale camel I go, I travel without destination. The desert is a world, a land of thirst and hunger. The immense dunes stretch out like an ocean of misfortune from the waves of stirring sands. That man is Moro Prosperi. <laughs> <laughs> The year is 1994, and 39 year old Moro Prosperi from Roma, Italy, leaves his wife and three young children at home to enter the Marathon de Sable. The marathon des sables oh, going
1: to be like. So it's a marathon.
0: Marathon yep. des sables. Oh, okay. A six-day, two hundred and fifty-kilometer or one hundred and fifty-five-mile race through the Sahara Desert. The marathon des sables mm-hmm. <laughs> is described as the toughest race of its kind. So tough, in fact, that participants have to sign a form to say where they want their body to be sent <gasps> in case they die.
1: Oh my god
0: preemptive.
1: <laughs> I get it, I guess, but
0: it's kind of like a waiver. Yeah. <laughs> you want to enter? Shit. This is what could happen. That being said, you
1: sign those forms when you go on like diving experiences. I mean, not like where you bury your body, but like we hold no responsibility if you die.
0: Please sign here. Lol, <laughs> please sign the dotted <laughs> line. Moro had found out about the race by chance. He had just retired from pentathlon life, which I will come back to in a second, okay. when his good friend and fellow athlete Giovanni Manzo mm-hmm. said to him, There's this amazing marathon in the desert, but it's very tough. Moro loved a challenge, mm-hmm. and his interest was instantly piqued. Mm-hmm. He started to train immediately, running 40 kilometres. Uh, 25 miles a day and reducing the amount of water he was drinking to get used to dehydration. His wife, Senzia, thought he was insane. Yeah, fair enough. They had three children under the age of eight, so she was worried about the potential danger and consequences of doing something so extreme. Mora was undeterred, however, reassuring her that the worst that can happen is that I get a bit sunburned. At the time... Moro was an Italian police officer and, as I mentioned, had been a modern pentathlete. So I had to Google what that was. Yeah, pentathlete. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. So the modern pentathlon is an Olympic sport that comprises five different events. Fencing, freestyle swimming of 200 meters, equestrian show jumping, uh, 15 jumps, and a final combined event of pistol shooting and a cross-country run of... Uh, 3,200 metres. The event is inspired by the traditional pentathlon held during the ancient Olympics, as the original events were patterned on the skills needed by an ideal Greek soldier of the era. Oh, okay, I was about
1: to say, like, very random activities yeah. are very random, bit niche. <laughs> yeah. Like, to start with fencing. And then show jumping. And then to, like, yeah. <laughs> let's go to the horses
0: (laughs) Um, and then let's shoot a gun. (laughs) So the modern pentathlon is similarly patterned on events representing the skills needed by cavalry behind enemy lines. So those skills, the fencing, swimming, uh, riding a horse, shooting a gun and running for a long time is all skills needed to have when you're out in battle. Yeah. Technically. Yes, as a a soldier, soldier. should yes, all, should all be able to do those things, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Um a gifted runner, fencer and horseman, Mora had won or placed an international modern pentathlon contest from Hong Kong to San Antonio. Oh. So, I suppose you could say the man was fit as a fiddle. <laughs> But the appeal of the race for him was not only the physical challenge, but the desert itself, as Mora had never experienced anything like it before. He quotes here, What I like most about running extreme marathons is the fact that you come into close contact with nature. The races take place in beautiful settings such as mountains, deserts, uh, and glaciers. As a professional athlete, I hadn't been able to enjoy these surroundings because I was so focused on winning medals. And when Mora arrived in Morocco, he was immediately bewitched by the beauty and vast expanse of the Sahara. Mm. And it must have been
1: quite a different environment to the pla- like. If you're explaining like mountains, glaciers, those sorts of environments are insanely different mm. to deserts.
0: Yeah, all super like a whole harsh. new thing. Yeah, Mm. very smart that he knew to try and practice dehydration. Yeah. Because obviously in the heat you lose so much more Mm. uh, water much faster in your body. Um, So now a bit about competing in the Marathon des Sables. It is like a week-long self-sufficiency endurance race held every spring in the Moroccan Sahara. It is the equivalent of running six marathons back-to-back in a convection oven. The event requires participants to carry their provisions on their bags. Everything, in fact, but their water, which is replenished at each checkpoint. Do we know how far the checkpoints are? Uh, it varies. Right, okay. So there's just various stages throughout the race. Um... So the race begins, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Moro competes as if he's been amongst the desert his whole life. He's always the first Italian to reach the checkpoints and would put a flag on his tent so that all the competing Italians could get together in the evenings. Aww. For want of a better word, Moro was having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> he was so incredibly... I loved I love that description of him being bewitched by the desert. Like, yeah. He just found it so compelling and just taken by how
1: beautiful. beautiful it is. Yeah. And
0: he's competing with his friends and these other Italians. And, and he obviously enjoys the running. Yeah. The cha- the physical yeah. challenge. So, yeah, I thought, yeah, he's having a lot of fun. Good on ya. yeah. Yeah. Um, nowadays, in more sort of recent current times, the marathon is a very different experience. Uh, With participant numbers reaching around 1,300-odd people, it's like a giant snake, and you couldn't get lost if you tried such a snake of people. Like a bit of a sheep herd sort of situation. Right. But back in 1994, there were only 80 participants, and very few who were actually running. So when Mora was out in the wild... What do you mean, actually running? Like, some people would just walk them, America, if it got... Too hard. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah. So as I say, when he was out there, he mm. was mostly by himself. Yeah. Um. On the morning of the marathon's fourth and longest stage, a hellish grind totaling roughly eighty kilometers. His l- eighty kilometers. Um. I just <laughs> couldn't even fathom running that. I
1: can't. That was, <laughs> and that was one like little. That's one. Yeah. One, the fourth
0: stage. Fourth. Wednesday yeah um luck was about to run out he was in seventh place and maintaining an impressive track despite temperatures that were climbing towards 45 to 50 degrees 50 degrees Celsius Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit I'm sorry American listeners. but like hot (laughs) yeah so freakishly hot um it was Thursday, April 14th, and races were approaching the finish line at Zagora, a Berber village in the palm-studded Dra Valley. Shortly after one o'clock that afternoon, Moro stopped briefly at the uh, third checkpoint, 32 kilometres or so into the day's route. Giovanni Manzo, his friend from Sicily... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to say his name properly. Mm-hmm. Giovanni Manzo, his friend from Sicily... <laughs> Helps Morrow tape up a festering blister on his foot. Ooh. And shortly afterwards, he signed for his two-litre allotment of water and was off again. Moro, back on the trail, describes the day from there. When we were out that morning, there was already quite a bit of wind. I had passed through four checkpoints when I entered an area of sand dunes. I was alone. The pacemakers had gone ahead. Pacemakers? Uh, people in cars. Oh. Uh. Suddenly, a very violent sandstorm began. Oh, no. The wind kicked up with a terrifying fury. I was swallowed by a yellow wall of sand. I was blinded. I couldn't breathe. Oh. The sand whipped my face. It was like a storm of needles. I understood for the first time how powerful a sandstorm could be. I kept running, though, because I thought I could see the trail. I was in 7th place and didn't want to lose my standing, but the storm was raging with such fury that I had to stop and seek cover. I found a bush and crouched inside it. The sand felt like needles piercing my skin. I wrapped a towel around my face and waited. The dunes were shifting all about me, and several times I had to move to avoid being buried. (gasps) When the wind picked up and grew into a fury, visibility dropped to near zero, of course the race organizers were forced to formally halt the race for the day marathoners up and down the course quickly wrapped themselves in sleeping bags to ride out the choking swirls of sand which stung the skin and caused bloody noses and respiratory tract abrasions bloody noses yeah so the sand was like cutting oh people's my... like s- their like yeah. skin and their throats and oh stuff oh my god that's
1: horrifically yeah. violent yeah very have you harsh? kind of I can kind of understand the feeling, but not nearly as much. Like, um, up north? Yeah, up north at, like, Northland, Mm. there's, like, this, like, sand dune area. Yeah. I've never been,
0: but I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, so I went there, and the, the wind, because we're at the coast, the wind is quite strong. Yes. And so, like, I've definitely felt, like, fast sand hitting my face and mm. it hurts
0: it does hurt, and i was
1: surprised
0: <laughs> as i was something so small packs such a big punch yeah. i was like
1: ow yeah yeah so I, i'm i'm just kind of in disbelief with them being in the this sandstorm and wow. his first instinct to be like i must keep running
0: because i don't want to lose my spot i don't want to lose my spot
1: Mm-hmm. it's like no 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 hide which you did
0: yeah he like eventually went and hid mm-hmm.
1: and the fact that he had to keep moving so he wouldn't get buried I think is. I thought that was crazy
0: like it, it just that shows you how so fast much. those dunes will shift and yeah. fall so and much, rise so much sand is moving yes and if the winds are that strong it like it would move so so fast yeah yeah, yeah. shit <laughs> So, unfortunately, though, Mora was too far ahead and too deep in the storm to know that the race had come to a halt. So, obviously, he continued on, attempting to hold <laughs> his position of seventh place. Oh, bless you. No. <laughs> the winds lashed for eight hours. Oh! Are you fucking serious? Eight hours? Eight hours. Didn't stop. Oh. Went on the entire day. That night... As the storm subsided, Giovanni Manzo trails in last at the fourth checkpoint. There was no sign of Moro. Giovanni didn't understand what could have happened as Moro had been running ahead, and even with the storm slowing his progress, he should have come in hours earlier. Mm. The race officials grew concerned, but put their faith in the belief that Moro would not have strayed far. The rules of the marathon stipulate that should a standstorm occur... Runners were to halt in their tracks and await further instruction. The race officials decided that they would commence a full-scale search in the morning. Okay. So back with Moro. As the winds relented, and it was moments away from darkness, Morrow started running again. But after only a few minutes, he has a chilling moment. He's lost the trail. Clearly, yeah. The next hour would see More attempting to backtrack, searching for the flags that had Shit. been put out to mark the piece. When it finally grew to pitch black, he decides that there's no point in wasting more energy. Mm. He grew frustrated by his own stupidity, thinking he had forfeited any chance of winning the race. He had been in seventh place, after all. <laughs> At this point, he figures... Oh, well, I can't win now, but I can still make good time. Tomorrow morning, I'll get up really early and try to finish.
1: I can't. (laughs) Wait, can we
0: just... He's still concerned about his his place in the race. I think he was still kind of holding out hope that his situation was, like, kind of all fine. Yeah,
1: Um, yeah. perhaps he just didn't quite see that... Um, grumbly car going past
0: excuse me (laughs)
1: um perhaps he didn't quite see yeah that he he was in any sort of danger he was Mm. like right I'll just ride it through and I'll pick it up tomorrow
0: yes Um, yeah pretty much yeah he still was kind of like I'm all good he has obviously that moment where he's like oh fuck I've lost the fucking trail yeah and he's like, "Well, it's fine, it's fine. I'm just gonna backtrack. Okay, I can't find anything, so I'll just, I'll just wait right here, and I'll just get up really early and I'll just."
1: Panic really would have set in for me. I, I'm getting kind of sweaty, thinking about it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd be like, mm. <laughs>
1: <He's> <laughs> <analing it. laughs>
0: "God so, damn it!" No, yeah. So for that really long leg of the race um competitors have only 36 hours to finish it if you take any longer you're disqualified oh right um so he's trying to (laughs) yeah but he he didn't realize that it had been halted so
1: he in his head he's like i've got to keep going yeah because i have only a limited amount of time yeah Yeah.
0: even though yeah okay it comes later (laughs) okay He figured he couldn't be more than a few Ks from the trail and that worst case scenario, the rescuers would have to come searching for him at dawn. So he prepared a camp, lighting a small fire to create some light, slipped into a sleeping bag and fell asleep under the stars. Morrow could never have imagined how dramatically that storm would alter the environment around him when he woke. It must have looked like a whole different place. At the crack of dawn scrambles to the top of the highest dune he can find. The landscape was completely transformed. He quotes, "'My heart dropped like a stone. I couldn't see anything. No truck trails, no signs of a camp, no Land Rovers. Nothing looked familiar. I realised that the situation was grave. I had drunk almost all of my water. There was only one finger of it left in the second bottle.'" He sets out in the direction he believes to be the right one, figuring uh, who knows how many others are in the same situation. As soon as I see someone, we can team up and get to the finish together. What Moro doesn't consider however, was how reliant his navigation was on points of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a compass and a map, but without being able to place himself on that map, yeah. navigation had become impossible. It would all kind of one looked
1: different, but also kind of the same. Mm. Like, everything would look the same, mm. if you know what I mean.
0: Just, like, sand everywhere. Just sand, how so we, I see how I can see. How, yeah, how would you know? <laughs> At first light that morning, race employees were dispatched in Land Rovers to comb the trail, while a pilot undertook a, recon- a reconnaissance flyover in an ultralight craft. The searchers methodically covered the terrain in a grid pattern, All other races became accounted for except Moro. They realized they would have to move fast during the morning, aware that Moro had at most only two litres of water. And by noon, uh, temperatures again would be soaring soaring high. So this is what I think is interesting because they were like, okay, best case scenario, he's still got his two litres of water, but Moro's already told us that he had pretty much drunk all of his water. And he... He did that on, on
1: the idea that he was like, oh, no worries, I'll make my way back mm. tomorrow.
0: Yeah. Oh. They found no trace of him. He had simply all but vanished. Four hours after Mora had set off that morning, he climbed another high dune, expecting to see anything that might indicate he'd been going in the right direction. But he sees nothing. His pace slows from a run to a walk. In a walk to a stop the realisation setting in that he could be in a lot of danger he thinks what was the point of running running where oh my god I can
1: picture it the slow walk to stop like of helplessness being like ah
0: fuck what do I do well his instincts kick into gear When I realised I was lost, the first thing I did was to urinate in my spare water bottle because when you're still well hydrated, your urine is the clearest and the most drinkable. I remembered my grandfather telling me how during the war he and his fellow soldiers had drunk their own urine when their water ran out. I did it as a precaution but I wasn't desperate. I was sure the organisers would find me soon. The race manual given to all competitors instructed them not to move should they become lost. But due to perhaps a bit of denial and a bit of desperation, four hours after Moro had actually become lost, Mm. he finally stopped and sat on a hilltop, scanning the horizon for any movement. He waited for hours without eating or drinking, as he did not want to waste any of his potentially precious resources. Odd question. Mm -hmm. Do you know what he was wearing? Um, he's in, like, lycra. If you imagine, he's in his, like, lycra gear. He's got a backpack, and he's got his little race little number clipped onto out. him.
1: I'm just wondering how covered he is. Because, um, I don't know, my understanding of what you should wear in the desert is solely based off movies. <laughs> and they all kind of cover up. Probably um, to avoid the sun.
0: Yeah. And bugs and stuff. N- not too sure about that. I just know that he for all intents and purposes, just kind of looked like a regular uh, marathon run. Okay. So perhaps not the best dressed
1: for the desert.
0: Yes. Okay. Yep. Just before sundown, Moro hears something. Oh. The most beautiful symphony ever. A helicopter. No way! They found him. It was flying low and angling towards him, equipped with a flare that was only the size of a pen he fires it oh. to make sure the pilot would spot him. Yeah. The helicopter flies directly over him, so close that Moro could see the white helmet of the pilot in the cockpit. <sighs> I'm saved, he thought, and he rejoiced. But the helicopter made no indication it was what? about to land, and instead continues to fly past him, then off into the distance Excuse and eventually me? vanish from sight.
1: They missed him
0: even with the flare? On oh, novice. In desperation and confusion and beside himself with fear, Moro yells, Giovanni, where are you? Oh. That night, Moro fell asleep again on a high dune under the stars. Back with the race, I'm, officials. Still, processing, I'm still processing the fact
1: that the helicopter missed, missed him. him. I know, what an idiot. Like,. Uh, uh, Did he look like a rock or a tree? Your one job is
0: to spot the person. (laughs) And he gave you everything he had. In
1: the frickin', like, there is sand and then there's him in his lycra. How did you miss him?
0: I know. Crazy. I can't. Okay, back to the race. (laughs) So back with the race officials, Patrick Bauer, the founder of the marathon, announced that the race would resume. A decision that dismayed many of the runners who were mm. resting in a dusty tent city encampment around 25 k's from the area where Moro had gone missing. We hated to leave because all we could think about was Moro out there alone dying says Renee Navola, a British runner who had befriended Moro earlier in the race. Everyone's morale was incredibly low. The Italian camp was especially devastated. Mm. No one more so than Giovanni Manzo. I felt horribly guilty because I was the one who'd convinced Moro to sign up for the race in the first place. Now all I wanted to do was drop out. I didn't think I could carry on. Mm. The following day, Moro's brother Ricardo, two Interpol investigators from Rome, and Cinzia, his wife... As uh, brother, Fabio, boarded a plane for Casablanca, determined to organize a search party of their own. Because Moro was a policeman, as well as an athlete of national stature, officials both in Rome and at Italy's embassy in Morocco mobilized with unusual swiftness to provide funds and vehicles. Now that Patrick Bauer, the founder, uh, now that his staff... The Moroccan military and the Italian authorities were involved. The search for Moro had become the most ambitious rescue operation the Sahara had seen since 1982, when Englishman Mark Thatcher, the son of the then Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, was, was, was lost for six days after his car broke down during the Paris Dakar rally. Wow. Yeah, so.
1: Amaz- I mean,
0: great. Autobots great roll effort. out.
1: Great effort. I'm glad everyone decided, like, yeah, we'll help. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, like, being like, Mm, actually, no. But...
0: Yeah. So he'd been out there, like, a couple of days at this point. Mm. And I had read that they said... Like, there, there was real concern there because nobody had survived, would survive longer than four days out there alone right. without any sort of supplies. Yeah, and
1: they knew how much water he had.
0: Yeah, well, they had guessed yeah. he had two liters. Which but... was more than he did actually have. Yeah, he had less than half of that.
1: Imagine how the wife must be feeling as well. Being like, I fucking told him not to go. Yeah. We have three children.
0: I'd be so pissed. Yeah, but also sad. Like, absolutely beside myself, but also being like, I told you so. so. (laughs) That's why you don't go do these things. (laughs) Why don't you take up knitting? (laughs) 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 I hope that's exactly what she was thinking. (laughs) Excuse me while I finish my grape. Out in the desert, Mora woke in a panic. Two large birds were circling him overhead. Oh. He quickly gathered his things and started walking. The sun was already bearing down on him like a weight. Oh. After walking for several hours, he glimpses the outline of a building about one and a half kilometres away. No way. Desperate to get out of the stifling heat, he Wait. hurries toward it. Is this like a mirage?
1: No. Okay. It's a, it's a real... <laughs> It's a real building. It's a real...
0: real, Okay. So he hurries towards it, hoping it was inhabited. The building turned out to be a small Muslim temple with a stone turret, also known as a Marabout shrine. Um, These are religious structures scattered throughout the Sahara Desert. Within the walls of these structures, a holy Islamic man was buried... This place was designed to be a spot for Badoons to stop when they were crossing the desert. And Badoons are a population of nomadic Arabs who have historically inhabited the desert regions in North Africa, the Arabian Peninsula, Upper Mesopotamia, and the Levant. Right. Upon arrival, he spies a nest with three bird eggs and immediately consumes them, desperate for the liquid and the hydration. Yeah. Now that Mora has found a place to camp out, he assesses his situation. It wasn't rosy, but I was feeling all right physically. I ate some of my rations, which I cooked with fresh urine, not the bottled urine that I was saving to drink. I started to drink that on the fourth day.
1: Mm.
0: Inside, it was cool and dark. I found a wooden pole and went outside to hang an Italian flag on it in case someone were to fly over. Then I sat out the day in the shade of the shrine. That first evening, excuse me, Mora was not in good shape. He quotes, my hunger had grown so terrible that I did something I never thought I could do. There was a small colony of bats living under the eaves of the building just before dark. I snuck up there and snatched two of them. I decided I would eat them raw because cooking them on my portable stove would only dry them out and I knew that moisture was what I needed most of all. Uh, ew. So I wrung their necks off and sucked. It was a repellent thing to do, but I was crazed with hunger. Ew, no. All I tasted was something warm and salty in my mouth. (laughs)
1: it's very it's also um a little um ironic with like the whole bat drinking blood vampire
0: oh yeah he has quoted somewhere saying i only did to them what they do to their prey i mean yeah but also yeah, no no i mean maybe what do you think would taste better you're like supply of, like, dried food cooked with your own urine or a raw bat. Look, Olivia. Like, if someone was holding a gun to your head. I
1: don't know if I (laughs) would want to have either. I can confirm I wouldn't want either. (laughs) But if you had to... If I had to? I don't know! I...
0: I'm too indecisive. I'd go for the bat. You would? Yeah. Because urine has like there's a reason the body expels urine like it takes away waste and yes of course but bats can hold diseases like covid well then i guess i'm getting covid so liv
1: you'll get covid and maybe i'll get the bacteria that i've expelled from my body because isn't it so you go for the the urine with the I think with I the would. freeze dried yeah, food. Yeah, I think I'd go for the urine with the freeze dried food. Yeah. Especially if you kind of think that you're somewhat healthy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. This sounds. I feel like this is wrong. But <laughs> if you like drink the urine, mm-hmm. whatever bacteria is in there has already been in you. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the least it can do. You're just kind of putting
0: it back in you, and it'll come out later. I think doing that too often, yeah, I feel would like cause this is wrong. a lot of like problems in your gut.
1: I feel like this was a not a very well educated guess of how you should how urine is treated in your body. As in my understanding,
0: uh, like,
1: I'm not a doctor, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, as in I'm like this is a really weird guess, and I'm probably wrong.
0: I mean, heck. Listeners, if you know, let Tell us, us know. How, how? <laughs> <clears throat> um, blah 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 Yeah, so that first night he was there, he fell asleep on the floor of the shrine. Moro was to remain there for four days in that shrine hoping to be found. Four days. Very so total, mm-hmm. how many days is that? Mm-hmm. He's probably been out for about eight eight days at this point. Seven or eight days. Mm. Yeah. All right. So about a week. Race officials could not believe they had simply lost a contestant to the open desert. Although its promoters like to sell the marathon as the toughest foot race on earth, only one person had actually died in it thus far. Uh, A young French runner who had suffered a massive heart attack in 1988. The marathon's ideal spoke of pitting man against the elements, but that was just a cliche of faux survivalism. Right. For Moro, however, the ordeal had ceased to be a controlled simulation of extremity and had become dreadfully authentic. Hmm. He was an out-of-place, lycra-clad creature loping across the wastelands of eastern Morocco, his marathon bib number meaningless now, A runner struggling to win an entirely different kind of race. He quotes, Just before dawn on the fourth day in the shrine, I woke to the sound of an aeroplane. I didn't know if it was a search plane or not, but when I stumbled outside, I could see it was flying in my direction. This is my last chance for rescue, I thought, and so I decided to risk it all. I took out everything from my backpack that was combustible and set it aflame. That includes his backpack as well. Oh shit. As the airplane drew nearer, I wrote SOS in large letters in the sand. But again, the wind messed... picked up, um... sending the sand into a frenzy. The plane did not spot Mora's distress signal and took off into the horizon. Oh, fuck. <laughs> he burned so much stuff. Yeah, he burned all of his shit that could catch fire. No. Defeated, Mora said to himself, There goes my life. He quotes, <gasps> all i could think about was that i was going to die a horrible death i had once heard that dying of thirst was the worst possible fate so just quickly for the listeners out there i did a bit of research into what happens to the body as you die from dehydration oh, cuz when gosh. i heard that it's the worst it's the worst way, way to die like, i was like oh what happens <laughs> So water makes up about 55 to 65% of your body. It's a crucial ingredient in the chemistry that helps your brain think, your blood flow, and your muscles move. So stage one is thirst. When thirst kicks in, your body clings to all remaining moisture. Your kidneys send less water to your bladder, darkening your urine. As you sweat less, your body temperature rises. Your blood becomes thicker and sluggish to maintain oxygen levels your heart rate increases. Stage two is fainting. Your blood is so concentrated that the resulting decrease in blood flow makes your skin shrivel. Your blood pressure drops making you prone to fainting. You've basically stopped sweating and without this coolant you start to overheat. Step three is organ damage. Your body is having uh, trouble maintaining blood pressure to survive, it slows blood flow to non-vital organs, such as your kidneys and gut, causing damage. Without your kidneys filtering your blood, cellular waste quickly builds up, so the kidneys are no longer able to process and expel the fluid. Fluid then backs up into the tissues, causing very uncomfortable swelling. <sighs> yeah. Stage four is death. If it's hot out, which, being and, in the desert, and, <laughs> it and, absolutely yeah, is. yeah, 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 yeah. Your uncontrollable body temperature means your vital organs risk overheating. Liver failure will probably kill you. But if conditions are mild, toxic sludge builds up in your blood. Your coroner's report will more likely read kidney failure. So yeah. essentially, you're just too hot. Your body can't regulate any temperature. Yeah. You can't sweat. There's no moisture in your body. And your organs just fail. Your Yeah and your blood is like sludge because it's so thick Gross. so on that happy note Yay, um back um, tomorrow um, slowly dying in the tiny shrine Ah, uh, fuck yeah he quotes from the embers of my bonfire his failed bonfire i removed a piece of charcoal and wrote a final letter to my wife i asked her to forgive me for not being a better husband and father out of his head in an incredible despair he tries to take his own life i cut my wrist with a knife but the blood was so thick from my advanced dehydration that it wouldn't flow i sat there on the floor of the shrine and cried oh my god he tried
1: to kill himself yeah would you would you do that in that
0: situation i would be Pretty devastated yeah. that both a helicopter and a plane had missed me, yeah. and that I just burnt all. Like I'd burnt my sleeping mm. bag, my backpack, my clothes. Probably. Yeah, I'm just thinking in that mindset,
1: like you, you've lost all hope. You've tried, like no one's coming for you. You know that you'll probably die from dehydration, mm-hmm. and knowing that. Oh, you've heard that it's the worst and slowest way to die. Yeah, I think I would, yeah, definitely try and just take the the easy, easier way out. I wouldn't say easy, but easier way. Quick. It obviously did it's, not succeed, but.
0: Yeah, well, isn't that crazy? Like,
1: his blood was just that
0: thick. Yeah, advanced dehydration. So, note to people, if you ever get lost in the desert, um, you better you're... to do it on, like, day one or two. No. <laughs> Don't listen to that. at all. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. That was incredibly tragic. Yeah, carry on. The following morning, Mora woke up not managing to kill himself. He took it as a sign he knew death didn't want him yet. I regained confidence, and I decided to see it as a new competition against myself. I became determined and focused again. After a time, I came to my senses. I realized that the marathon was moving on, that I couldn't rely on the race officials to save me. I decided I must confront the desert myself. I was thinking of my children. I put myself in order. Moro, the athlete, was back. I needed to have a plan. I still had quite a lot of energy left. I wasn't tired. As a former pentathlete, I was used to training 12 hours a day, and I I had trained well for the Marathon de Sables. So I didn't feel too weak. I still had some energy tablets too. They had told us Mm. that at the end of the race in Zagora, we would see a mountain range. Mm -hmm. As I looked at the horizon, I could see mountains in the distance, some 20 miles away, so around 32 kilometers. So that's like head of the heart, belly. It's a really
1: long way away, Mm -hmm. but I guess for him it's it's just one of the stages, isn't it? I mean, half. Half of one of the stages.
0: I decided I would try to reach them. As the sun dropped low, I pulled together the few belongings I hadn't torched, and I started walking. I learned that there is food all around you if you learn to look. I kept alive by sucking wet wipes. In the mornings, I licked the dew off the concave surfaces of rocks. I sipped my own urine and boiled it with freeze-dried food. Mm. I ate what the desert offered. I improvised a slingshot with a forked stick, a forked stick and a bungee cord, and stunned a mouse with a rock. As I was walking through the desert, I recognized dried riverbeds where succulents grew. Mm. So I squeezed their juice out and drank that. Huh. I walked in the desert for days, killing snakes and lizards and eating them raw. That way I drank too. I started to think of myself as a man of the desert. Wow. I was aware that I was losing an incredible amount of weight. The more I walked, the looser my watch felt on my wrist. I was so dehydrated, I couldn't urinate anymore. Luckily, oh. I had some anti diarrhea medicine, which I kept taking. I wanted to see my family and friends again, and I concentrated on that. I wasn't afraid. At the same time, I started to view the desert as a place where people can live. I could see the beauty of the desert. I paid careful attention to every trace. Even dried excrement gave me clues about what direction to go in. Huh. The mountains I was aiming for were not a mirage, but they were the wrong mountains.
1: Oh, no.
0: Instead of bearing northeast towards Zagora, I was heading due east. Of course, I didn't know this. My sense of the days and of precisely how I spent them was becoming vague. I was strict in my regimen. I walked only in the early mornings and in the early evenings. In the harsh glare of the day, I rested in the shade of cliffs or caves or trees. At night, I buried my body in the sand to keep warm. Along the way, I planted clues to my whereabouts. I would leave miscellaneous articles a t shirt, toothpaste, socks, a shoelace, etc. On the crest of dunes, I would leave tinfoil and metallic food containers. How oh, smart. Yeah. Yo. Like, full-on survival mode. On the eighth day, Mora came across a small body of water, but to him it was an oasis. He threw himself into it and gulped down with abandon, but due to the severe dehydration his body was experiencing, he could hardly swallow. Managing to force a mouthful down, his body rejected it almost immediately and he vomited it back up. Oh, Wow. Yeah, the body just... When... I think when you go into that kind of... um, State. State, the body does start to reject it. Like, the body doesn't want fluids. It's essentially begun that process of shutting down, Mm. and it won't...
1: It's like a kind of, no, we're closed for business. Yeah,
0: yeah. which is crazy. you think that the body would be so happy, but... Okay. Um Yes. Uh, in desperate frustration, he found he could take tiny sips, one every ten minutes or so. He quotes, I lay by the puddle like some leopard at its watering hole. I took larger swallows. By morning, my thirst was slacked. I looked for signs of life and found nothing. I filled my water bottle and started walking again. I continued on all day and night. The next morning, I spotted the fresh ex." excrement of goats my spirits grew brighter then I saw something that made my heartbeat quicken human footprints <gasps> no way I crested a hill and beheld an incredible sight there was a nomad girl maybe 8 years old tending a flock in the sparse greenery of a wash Oh my God. he found like a nomad tribe I ran toward her and begged for help. She looked at me aghast, screaming in terror. I beseeched her to stop, but she disappeared over a dune. I must be a hideous sight, I thought. I took out my signal mirror and turned it towards my face. I was appalled. I was a skeleton. My eyes had sunk so far back into my skull, I couldn't see them.
1: Oh my god.
0: The girl returned with her grandmother And I stumbled after them Conscious of what a pitiful castaway I'd become There was an encampment set among the trees They were Tuaregs. If you remember that poem from the start Mm. The famous blue people of the Sahara Travelling in a caravan The old woman instructed me to lie down In the shade of a lean-to She prepared me mint tea And a cup of goat's milk Then the men came into the camp They loaded me on a camel and took me to the nearest village, a journey of a few hours. There, they turned me over to a patrol of military police who immediately blindfolded me. As I later learned, they suspected that I might be a Moroccan spy and they wanted to prevent me from glimpsing the layout of any military installations. A Moroccan spy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They had guns and I thought at times they were going to kill me. I was driven to a military base where an officer started interrogating me. I told him I was a policeman in Italy, and for some reason this seemed to help. Then, Uh another officer burst into the room. He took one look at me and said, Are you Moro Prosperi? (gasps) And he's like, yes, it's me! Yes, I said, astonished to hear the sound of my name. Welcome to Algeria, sir. We have received a report about you from the Moroccan authorities. Algeria. We must Algeria. We must get you to the infirmary straight away. I discovered at that moment that I had crossed the border into Algeria. I was 291 kilometers off course.
1: No. 291
0: kilometers off That's course. 181 miles for those who
1: Okay, I'm literally googling a map of Africa cuz Okay, Algeria is there. Oh, okay. So, bo- Algeria borders Morocco. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it's huge. But it's huge. Mm-hmm. Nearly three hundred kilometers off course. So he must have walked. Yeah. All of that. Yeah.
0: Isn't that ridiculous? Oh my
1: god. The the feeling of first <laughs> seeing that girl, like.
0: Oh my god.
1: And then also, how the girl must be feeling. That is terrifying.
0: Yeah, this like crazy skeleton
1: looking man in lycra. Like, like just like comes <laughs> rabbiting towards you and you're like, ah! Yeah. just here with my goats. Please me be. Don't hurt me goats. <laughs>
0: or it, maybe yeah. it's,
1: take the goats. Take the goats, leave me. What have we done to deserve this? Grandma! <laughs> um, yeah, and then, yeah, to finally hear your name. you Moro Prosperi. Oh my god. Like, thank god. Now they know I'm not a spy. They're not going to kill me. They know who I am. They're going to save me. I'm I'm fine. I will reunite with my family. Oh my I will god. see my kids again. Oh my god, I'd
0: be bawling my eyes out. Yeah, did he cry? Because surely... I don't think he had any water left in his body to cry. a a fair point. (laughs) Alright, so. Mm. They took me to a hospital in Tindouf, where finally, after ten days, I was able to call my wife. On the evening of April 24th, Cinzia had just put her three children to bed when the phone rang. The signal was clear, the voice buoyant and vital. Cinzia, it's me. Did you have a funeral for me yet? That's the first thing he says. Did you have a funeral for me? Yeah. Was it amazing? (laughs) Did people
1: cry? Did people turn up? Who? Big crowd.
0: (laughs) Like big
1: crowd though. Like
0: a big, big one. In the hospital, nurses plied him with sixteen litres of intravenous fluids. Sixteen litres. The doctor said his liver had almost failed, but after a day and a half of recovery, they thought he was going to be okay. They weighed him. He had lost 16 kilos. Sixteen. His eyes had also suffered from the heat and dehydration. On the phone, he says to his wife, My skin is like that of a tortoise, but don't worry, Cinzia, I'm still beautiful. <laughs> oh my god. I know. He's like, I can crack jokes, right? It's not too soon. <laughs> Over Moro's journey, he had traversed a mountain range, the Jebel Bani, and then stumbled across the tense border between Morocco and Algeria, which was frequently patrolled by guards and rumoured to be laced with landmines. The Tuareg nomads had found him around 40 kilometres into Algeria. Um, After recovering for seven days uh, in the Algerian hospitals, Moro, still frail and weak, was flown back to Rome, where he received a hero's welcome. He was photographed with dignitaries, interviewed endlessly, and celebrated in newspaper stories across the whole of Italy. They all said the same thing he was a walking miracle. Yeah. That's insane. Four years after this ordeal, Moro was back at the Marathon de Sable. Are you shitting me right now? <laughs> Sorry, he went back? People ask me why I went back. Yeah. But when I start something, I want to finish it. The other reason was that I can't live without the desert. Desert fever does exist, and it's a disease that I've absolutely caught. I'm drawn back to the desert every year to greet it, to experience it. Wow do you know what's so funny about this and your reaction? That was the same reaction you had to the climbers, the mountaineering climbers going back and climbing mountains. And you're like, don't you want a break? Yeah.
1: I'm like, aren't you triggered? Like, I understand the, the desert is beautiful. I mean, I've never been, but like, yeah, like he was captured by the beauty, but that was before... He was deserted in the desert.
0: <laughs> deserted in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> like...
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I I guess when you were explaining that he saw the beauty in the desert when he was walking in, like, like full-on survival mode, mm-hmm. like, when he was, like, he kind of... I mean, it wasn't enjoyable, but he... He saw the small things that kind of brought him a little bit of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely see this going back. I understand this more than the climber one. (laughs)
0: Like, yeah, there was of some value. Yeah, and like the marathon... Hold on, there's so many... Why are there so many cars out and about today? Yeah. Sun's out. Busy,
1: busy. Out. Gun's out. Gun's <laughs> um, out. With the marathon, I I guess, like, there is a lot of supervision with the marathon organisers, and they would be hella careful with him this time. They'd be like, we need to put a tracking device on him, mm. and we must not
0: let him out of our sight. And also, I learnt that um, they've given racers, like, these mandatory new flares and they're mm. the, the great, like, sea grade flares. So ones that they have on ships and stuff. Right. Which okay. apparently the marathoners were super annoyed about at first because... It's like it's, yeah, they yeah ha- like... Yeah, they have to carry everything. Yeah. But after this flimsy little pen flare did fuck all,
1: they
0: were like, no, nah, we're not having that again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it's kind of the reaction people have when um bringing with them emergency gear right like if you're thinking about like hiking and um carrying a beacon or something mm. like beacons can be pretty heavy and pe- and they're really expensive so you're like mm, fuck that maybe I don't need that but like you don't need it until you need it
0: yeah it's like so many things a seat belt yeah <laughs> So yeah, it's
1: a little bit inconvenient, but she's pretty convenient when you're in a fucking car crash.
0: And also, she's pretty convenient when you're lost in the fucking desert and a helicopter pilot can't see you. Because you it look like, like a tree. Because <laughs> <laughs> you look like a tree. What colour was
1: this lycra? Jeez. Wear bright lycra. That's the lessons, kids. Bright. Not yellow, because yellow would blend in. No, it would need to be, like, red. Or, like, neon pink. Ooh, that's a good one. Or... Neon
0: green or blue? Oh, blue
1: do you Is reckon that too tree?
0: Yeah, blue. Red. Do you know? Go neon rainbow. I think that's your safest bet. Would it be though? Because <laughs> you know what? Actually, you're right. Do not listen to my advice. <laughs> I am not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself. Wear a rainbow.
1: <laughs> Someone might follow that and be fucking. Lost.
0: Definitely do your own research. <laughs> they'll look fantastic, but they'll be lost. <laughs> Fabulously lost. <laughs> Anyhow. <gasps> uh, the final quote from him uh, about the en- his sum up ending. Mm. My wife was a saint. She coped with me for many years, but at a certain point because of my lifestyle, we decided to split up. We are still best friends, maybe more so now than we were married. I have a new partner, but she knows I am a man on a mission. I can't change. I was desperate and scared, but I had never felt so alive. I decided that I loved the Sahara more than any other land and that if God should see me through this, I would return to this magnificent place. And that, my survival guide friends, is the incredible survival story of a man whose very name seems to sum it up. Moro Prosperi, the fortunate one. He's very fortunate. That's incredible. I can't believe he survived. I
1: can't believe he came back. I can't.
0: I just think about, you know, I have been to some pretty hot places around the world. Mm. I found Hong Kong stifling. Yeah. totally different kind of heat that, to anything I'd ever experienced um, p- parts of Europe very hot as well um, I was in the desert in uh, San Pedro Atacama in Chile and I also was in the desert in Bolivia I've done the Amazon I have been in some mm. hot places hot. but I've never been somewhere where the temperatures were around 50 degrees I was in
1: <laughs> this
0: does not count I was in Dubai
1: airport. <laughs> with me? with the, I've been to Dubai airport oh. multiple times. But, um, like, in the airport. But, like, you, I think, yeah, maybe with you. Because you would have that Snapchat thing where you could, like... There was a filter where it had the, oh, yes. the temperature. Yes. That's and pretty. it would be, like, 48 degrees
0: mm. outside
1: in Dubai. But we were in the air-conditioned
0: airport, so... That's right. And it was, we were all so shocked by this because it was like five in the morning or something. And
1: you're like, how can anyone function in this temperature? Mm.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And this man did it with no water, like no food. I can't believe it. Eventually, like no backpack. Yeah. Just eating off. Bats and urine. Bats and snakes and lizards and wet wipes and succulents and sucking the wet wipes is like
1: it's a whole thing. Yes. Not I can't be good for
0: you. No, I can't think of anything he was having there. That <laughs> That's true. It was good for him. Um, yeah, just before I end I'll do a quick sources check. Oh yeah. So um most a lot of well yeah, all my information came from uh the this place called Men's Journal, um, Mm -hmm. and it was called Crazy in the Desert by Hampton Sides, and a BBC transcription article, How I Drank Urine and Bat Blood to Survive, from an original interview where Maura Prosperi spoke to Outlook on the BBC World Service, posted on 27th of November 2014. Um, I wanted to keep those sources at the end as I didn't want that title to give anything away. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) But funnily enough i I had this like little extra bit in here at the end, which I thought was super interesting because uh doing all the research for the story, Moro experienced a lot of controversy, like there was a lot of controversy around his story, oh, being authentic, really. Yeah, like, people were questioning if... Like, did you really do that? Did mm. these things actually happen? Like, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and more, of course, is like, yes, they did. But I thought it was interesting. I feel like... So this is a pretty much direct quote from this... um One of those sources that I mentioned. Uh, where this interviewer just had like a big conversation with Moro mm, and it's yeah. just a direct sort of translation. Um, I thought it was super interesting how he talks about how the founder of the marathon is actually a bit of a dick. Oh. Okay. And I think he was actually quite jealous of the fame and glory that Moro oh. experienced from having this ordeal. Yeah. Because he started this marathon because he had made this crossing before, and he was the f- like first person to do it. Right. And, but he never got any recognition Re- or that, yeah, um, yeah. So okay, okay. Oh, this is how it's described. One cool evening, early on in the contest, a friend, the French founder and director of the race a ruddy-cheeked former concert promoter named Patrick Bauer held a meeting with journalists outside the press tent. Bauer had hatched the idea of the Marathon des Sables after he went on a solo expedition of some 200 miles across the Algerian Sahara in 1984. People thought I must be mad, Bauer said. It was just a personal quest, something I had to do. He spoke mystically of the prolonged solitude he had experienced, of the shooting stars he had seen, of what the desert had done to him once he was dropped into its vastness. Bauer did not mention, until prompted by a French journalist who knew the real story, that he had been accompanied on his so-called solo trek by his brother and girlfriend who had followed him in a support vehicle. Oh, what? Yes, but they did not help me in any way, Bauer insisted. They were there to document this historic experience.
1: They probably carried all of his shit.
0: <laughs> Later, I, as in this journalist from the BBC, asked Bauer about Prosperity. It seemed to me that these two men were kindred spirits, for they had both experienced a transcendental communion with the desert that had changed their lives. Mm. Don't listen to Mr. Prosperi, Bauer replied. (gasps) He pursed his lips and exhaled contemptuously. His story is fabrication. He will have you believe he is Superman. It is physiologically impossible for a man to travel more than 200 kilometres in the desert without water. This is a supernatural act. Was he saying that Prosperi had never really been missing? Well, it's possible that he got genuinely lost for a few days, but all the rest rings false. We believe that early on he was picked up by someone, and then he decided to hide out for a while. Why would he do that? He thought he could make a killing out of this if he prolonged his ordeal. He thought he could sell his story to the tabloids. He aspired to be the star of his own movie. Oh my god. The next afternoon, I went over to the Italian tent to meet Prosperi. He'd come in from a 20-mile run and was boiling a packet of freeze-dried stroganoff. He was shirtless, and a medallion of blood uh, from a burst blister was seeping through one of his socks.
1: Yeah. I
0: told him what Bauer had said, and for a moment he turned deep red with anger. Yes, I know what Patrick Bower says about me, he replied tentatively in a soft, high voice we've had our differences. I almost took him to court. But he says those things because he knows that my desert story is better than his. Mm -hmm. And because he fears that he is the copy and I am the real thing. I didn't have a truck following me every step of the way. He said you'd have to be Superman. Me, Superman, he said, looking around at some of the other Italians in the tent. Well, yes, precisely. He smiled broadly and everyone erupted in laughter. <laughs> I liked Prosperi instantly, but after what Bauer had said, I was weary of him. I approached him as if he were some kind of human endurance hustler. You want to hear the story, he asked, once he had finished his dinner. Removing his socks, he made little ditches in the sand with his bare feet and stared eastward towards the Algerian border. And then he proceeded to tell him exactly
1: story. the story. Yeah. How big of an ego must you have to have that reaction Mm. like are you serious like no concern for him at all whatsoever like
0: surely there was like the state of his body would be proof enough yes exactly and that's you know people from the hospitals attested this person couldn't have come in at the condition that they did if they had cheated yeah so to speak like just kind of hid away yeah the man had lost almost 20 kilos yeah. over 10 days
1: and they said that like his liver was essentially liver yeah literally
0: yeah, failing and his eyes had suffered quite, yeah like quite a lot of damage and the girl with the goats yeah <laughs> the girl with the goats yeah yeah precisely mm. and of course they um sent people round to check like the shrine, and they found mm. remains of bats that had been, you know, eaten, and yeah. the side of his camp, and yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it's like, the proof is there, but this guy that's, yeah. that founded the race was just so jealous. Wow. Which I just think,
1: is a horrible side to see of someone. Mm-hmm. True colours, though.
0: Absolutely. That was crazy. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, actually, to research. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this one. I enjoyed listening to it, minus the bats. Minus the bats. Minus <laughs> the bats did not enjoy that, bit. I find that so funny. For me, the bats was fine, but listening to how he cooked his food using his own piss, I was like... <laughs> I find that way more all good than the (laughs) bats. What do you guys think? Let us know. (laughs) The the controversy here.
1: Disgusting in this moment. (laughs) Which one would you eat? Go into your head. Please (laughs) let us know.
0: But yeah, thank you so much for letting me share the story with you today. And we look forward to Melissa's next week. Okay, thank you again so much for. Survival Guide. Hey guys, it's Olivia here. Thank you so much for tuning into the Survival Guide podcast. Melissa and I are brand new to this, and we really appreciate your support. We can't wait to bring you some more crazy survival stories. So don't forget to subscribe and tune in next week. You can also find us on Instagram at the Survival Guide podcast. Once again, thank you. Love you. Kaki te. Goodbye.